Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 82, ever wonder what it's like to fly a corporate jet? Well, find out in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Stuff Mike Avcast. I'm joined here with actually uh, just uh, two of our co-hosts. We've we've had two drop off this evening. I'm Carl Valier, your host. I'm here with Rick Felty. Uh, hey there, welcome, Rick. And, hey, uh, thanks, Eric Crump. Hey, Ta-da. Eric. The uh, unfortunately, Sean Moody has been working some really late hours and are. Or early hours. The other way, the other way around. He's working yeah. early hours. That's why he couldn't make it tonight. And right. uh, super early, I guess it is. And then Victoria is actually, uh, she's supposed to tweet us while we're doing this because it's a big surprise as to what she's doing. So hopefully halfway through the show, we'll find out what's going on with Victoria. But it was a bit of a surprise why she couldn't be here this evening. So dun, dun, dun. We'll find that out halfway through the show. But for you folks, welcome to the show. We're talking general aviation and talking about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. And today we have a special guest. Uh, his name is Tom Wachowski, and he's from the Private Jet Podcast. Uh, Tom Wachowski is a corporate pilot extraordinaire and loves to talk about corporate aviation. Welcome to the show, Tom. Well, good evening, Carl. Good evening, guys. Thanks for having me. And Tom, it's uh, it's really cool some of the things you do, and I really want to get into this because a lot of folks that are flying Cessna 172s and flying around into Warriors and stuff like that, they're they're looking at this saying, "Wow, that'd be really really neat to fly." But you know, I always tell people it's got wings. It's just like a 172 to fly, just uh, got a little more bells and whistles. But uh, you know, it's an oversimplification. But Tom's going to give us the real deal about what it's like to fly in a corporate jet. Let's do the pre-flight. But before we get started, we have quite a few announcements uh, this evening, and uh, we also have, actually, we're going to start with Rick's, because Rick, this is pretty important. Yeah. Uh, you have an update. Yeah, it's a follow-up uh, from the last uh, episode, if uh, you guys are listening to that. Um, my pick of the week was a program I've used for a while called Log10 Pro, and uh, I think it's just, it's a really great uh, flight logging program. As I said at the time, I think it, it's it's way uh, more robust than I actually need. But um, for those of you who want to keep track of a lot of complicated stuff, it's it's a great program. That said, um, after the first after the program went out, I heard from a listener, Eric Cooper, on uh, Twitter, who um, brought to my attention that in the current flux of um, Apple iOS and um, OS uh, operating system ten um, changes that are coming, Yosemite's coming and uh, iOS 8 just launched, and those are going to be inter, inter, interconnected. Right now, Log10 Pro doesn't uh, isn't compatible, according to Accordine, with the iCloud. So what that means is if you were to buy Log10 Pro now, there's a chance that they w- there is a very good likelihood they're going to need to update it to make it work, and they say they're working on that. What we don't know is if you buy it now, will you have to buy it again, or will it be a free uh, update? And so that said, I guess I would caution everyone um, to 
you know, to pay attention to that site to see what they're saying about it before you. And I would wait a while, maybe a month or so till till Apple rolls out their stuff and Corridine says they're all they're playing nice with all of that. And then um, and then you can you know, then you can go for it if you want to. But I want to uh, say all that because I thought it was great that Eric brought that to our attention. Thank you, Eric. And uh, that's what I want to clear up. Yes, thank you. And how how are they going to most people if they're going to try to figure out when these updates are coming wrong? Should they follow well, Twitter or Facebook? Well, yeah, I mean, the the way to check is Coridine site because it matters what they say about their own product. And so if if they they will announce when they're all excited about their product now working with with uh, Yosemite, which is the next IO uh, next uh, Mac OS update, and uh, so I would I would follow them on Twitter. Probably is a great place, and and watch their website. And 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 the the only the only reason to even have a question about it is sometimes if it's a major enough change, companies will have to charge for the new software, and you will have you will have bought it one month and two months later have have to buy it again. And I had said part of what I was talking about was its compatibility with the with iOS with the with the cloud. And it was compatible. Apple tweaked how that works, and now it's not. So, um, yeah. So keep track of them, and and you'll know. Right. And then and and keep updating all your Apple stuff because that's always worth doing. I mean, with a cautionary note that sometimes it will brick your phone. <laughs> well, that's you. an that's a that's a joke for all you iOS people who just went through who may have just gone through that about a few weeks ago. Yeah, I did not update yet uh, on my yeah, phone. The issue the issue was with the new phones, so only the. Uh, the uh, iPhone sixes were affected, so uh, and you can update now. I, I've done it successfully, no problem with uh, with the new one, which is eight point zero point two. But this is not an Apple uh, <laughs> handset uh, <laughs> no, podcast. No, it isn't. But it, it's 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 prescient because of the fact that a lot of people uh, updated, like me, on the yeah. iPad, and it it uh, destroyed the charting software that I had. So oh wow! Uninstall, yeah, go back. So. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, no. it's all. It's all. It's generally good guidance to to wait. wait. You know, a yeah. while to to see the tea leaves and see what everyone's saying, and then go for it. Thanks, thanks, Rick. <laughs> Appreciate that, and uh, we'll put a link to uh, to Lock yeah. Ten Pro for you on the website. Yeah. Um, now, let's see. I think Eric Crump, you had an interesting announcement. One of my favorite places in the world is having an event coming up uh, the following weekend. Yeah, I you know we we're big fans of Sun and Fun, um, and for mostly the same reason, I really like them because since I now share an airport with them, um, it's very easy to participate in all that cool stuff. <laughs> I used to be separated um, by a county, which you know shouldn't be that big of a deal, but it's a lot easier to get to things when you're right there on the same airport. Um, so uh, there, what used what used to be Wings and Things, which is this youth aerospace weekend uh, that Sun and Fun does every summer which I always get really excited about um, just because I love any opportunity to get young people excited about aviation, aerospace, that kind of stuff. Um, They sort of repurposed it this year and rebranded it in accordance with their new Aerospace Center for Excellence uh, campus, uh, the whole, you know, re uh, the redoing, if you will, of Sun and Fun. And um, yeah, and it's, it's so cool. There's so many events going on. Um, for those people who are familiar with uh, the Museum of Science and Industry in Tampa, Florida, great, awesome place. If you ever get a chance to go, you should absolutely go. It's fun. Kids love it, but honestly, I think I liked it better than my kids. <laughs> um, and so Mosey's coming over with a live interactive exhibit the kids can play with. Uh, they're building rockets. There's an F-22 pilot coming to talk to the kids. And um, I mean, it's just great. It's just a lot of fun. It's a camping event. And the kids who are eight years and older, um, if they want to, it's not required – 
they get a chance to fly in an airplane. Um, so they can get their first flight right there during all over a weekend. They get to camp. They get to have the whole experience. Um, and it, everything about it, I love. Um, uh, this year, um, because, again, we're, we, we're now, I guess, co-tenants at the Lake Hollander Airport, um, my students are playing a big role. They're going to be volunteering in some events. And um, anyway, so I'm just really excited about it. So I just wanted to make it known to people. Um, by the time this episode comes out, um, probably too late to register um, because they do they do fill up pretty fast because uh, obviously it's really fun and awesome. But it's still worth taking a look, even if you can't make it in this year. Something to remember and keep on your calendar uh, for next year for the kids. Um, so sun-in-fun.org. Sun and um, it's what used to be Wings and Things, for those of you familiar with that, now the uh, Aerospace Discovery Weekend. So very excited about that and very excited to participate in it. Yeah, I'm excited to, to have that going on, too. As a matter of fact, Sun and Fun Radio is going to have one of their co-hosts there uh, recording that weekend. And that would be yours truly. I'll be there on the weekend. And uh, I'm not sure where how we're going we're gonna to do this, but uh, I'll definitely, some of the interviews we'll put on here as a, like a special episode, that type of cool. thing. Cool. So, uh, well, Carl and I will live, live broadcast the, uh, the there, event. It'll I, be fun. I, there, there, that may happen. Actually, we may be able to do that. I'm not going to say we can yet, but uh, if it does, just follow us on Twitter. Uh, we'll we'll let you know if we're able to live feed that. Otherwise, we'll we'll definitely have some interviews, and uh, we'll we'll put that on the podcast here. So, Eric, thanks for that. We'll put the link in the uh, show notes uh, to that Aerospace Discovery Weekend is what they call it now. Thanks so much, Eric. Appreciate that. Yep. That's going to be such a cool event. I can't wait. Love watching Very the kids. Excited. Yeah, they're all, a lot of excited faces. I love watching those eyes. They, they walk in and they're excited, but by the time they leave, their eyes are the size of saucers. And they're like, Mommy, I want to do something in aviation. And we need so much more of that. We need, we need to fill our ranks. And that's, that's where it starts. So we're excited about that. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Well, before we get started with the interview, I have a couple of quick announcements. Uh, the first one here is Victoria isn't with us tonight, and hopefully she'll she will text us and let us know what she's doing. But she has an interesting article on BuzzFeed, uh, the community there, and Turbo the Flying Dog. There's some really neat pictures. I have a link to it in the show notes, so check out the pictures. It's a real good representation of Turbo the Flying Dog with, at the bottom, a really cool, cool picture of uh, Turbo the Flying dog as an animated character so don't don't miss that so i'll have the links in the show notes so make sure you check out the show notes at a at uh, stuck my slash uh, 82 uh, also uh there's one other thing that I, I i thought was really cool and i did this aviation safety seminar you know that the first monday of every month if you ever want to hear me speak i'm at uh, clearwater at national aviation academy and we do a safety seminar for the fa for the wings program we had this really special guest, Mike Singleton, and he did a program about owner maintenance. And what he allowed me to do is take that presentation and make a slideshow of all the slides. I'm going to put that out on the website. I have a link to it uh, at stuckmikeavcast uh, slash 82. And it basically, you can either go to expertaviator.com slash owner maintenance or just go to the Stuck Mike Avcast and link to it. Really good stuff. And there's really interesting information. Why would you want to watch this? Because you may not realize all the things that you can do as an owner with your aircraft. And, by the way, did you know that things have changed as far as swapping out your database for your GPS? Well, if you didn't know that, you'll find out why uh, on that on that slideshow. So go check that out. Uh, the other thing, too, quick uh, shout-out to our 
sponsors here, aviationuniverse.us. Make sure you go to aviationuniverse.us, send them an email, contact them, say, hey, you heard about uh, them from us here at the Stuck Mike Gathcast. They are terrific in helping us bring this programming to you. Now entering cruise flight. So anyway, let's get started with our show. We have a special guest with us, uh, Tom Wachowski. We mentioned in the beginning. Tom uh, is you know, he's the host of the Private Jet Podcast, which is an awesome show. I listen to it, and I have to say uh, I've learned quite a bit about corporate aviation. But, you know, we're general aviation pilots flying around. We always want to know, hey, what's it like to fly a, a private jet? You know, it sounds pretty darn cool. So Tom's going to tell us a little bit about it, and, uh, and you know, he's going to also, you know, Dispel some myths about about flying the big corporate jets and stuff like that, because you you get to fly the big ones, don't you, Tom? Well, I guess it's all relative, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they uh, one of the airplanes I, is classified in corporate terms. Um, you know, people who maybe follow airliners would laugh at this, but it is classified as heavy uh, because it is uh, upwards of fifty thousand pounds. So. Uh, yes, I guess I do, but it is all relative. Right, right. And, uh, yeah, I guess some of the airliners that, that are listening and the guys that fly the airlines say, hey, that's as much gas as we put on our airplane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, it's it's really neat. The, the private – there's private aviation, corporate aviation, that type of thing. You know, one of the things uh, I want to try to figure out right now, what's the, what's the difference with private and corporate aviation? Are they the same? Well, you know, it, it, it all depends. And I guess the easiest way to delineate the two of them is what rules they operate under. So a lot of general aviation with regard to corporate jets operates under 135 rules, charter rules. And a lot of it operates under 91 rules, which is essentially the same as uh, maybe some of your listeners who go out and fly uh, in a Cessna or a Cirrus. Uh, they're operating under the exact same rules that uh, many corporate operators are in a Lear or a Gulfstream or a Global Express. So those two kind of uh, uh, columns, if you can imagine that, are, are the divisions in which a lot of uh, corporate jets operate under. So let me get this right. Like It's just like owning a 182. It's just got jet fuel. It really is. It really is. The only difference is you're going to have likely a bigger staff to uh, help maintain the asset, <laughs> but uh, essentially it is. If you've got the money, it's, it's literally that simple as, uh, hey, you go out and you buy one of these planes and it's yours. Uh, of course, now you got to figure out how to operate it, but yep, same thing. You know, Tom, if someone's listening right now and they have the uh, the money to buy like a small jet, that's becoming real popular. These micro jets, uh, yes. you, know, you got Honda coming out, all these different smaller jets. You know, what advice do you have for them that are that are thinking, hey, you know, I want to go out there and, and start flying this? Yeah, get really good advice. I think that's my advice. You know, it's uh, uh, so often a pocketbook can fund something that's well outside someone's circle of competence. And so, you know, somebody, whether it's a small eclipse or whether it's a, a citation, a lot of the citation jets, the Cessna citations can be flown by an owner pilot. There's no need for a co-pilot or a big crew or a big maintenance staff. But there are a lot of moving parts and there are a lot of things to think about. And if you've never done it before, or even if you've only done it once or twice, my best advice is to find someone uh, who's done that and who knows what questions to ask, what to look for, what's important, those types of things. Cool. You know, Tom, what, if someone has a 172, or say they're flying one right now, they look at the, the jet, they peer inside. I know we all have done it. We've walked by yeah. these corporate jets. and they I say still do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you haven't stopped that, have you, Tom? <laughs> no. You know, it's funny. We're all curious. And, and you know, it's because we're aviators. We love to see what other people are flying. Um, but you know, I remember the first time I looked at one. I said, "Oh my God, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think yeah. I could do that." 
Uh, and I'll never, ever forget the first time ever landing a jet. And it was a Falcon, uh, not a Falcon, excuse me. It's, uh, oh gosh, what was it? Uh, anyway, it was, it was a, uh, a jet that I flew down to uh, Fort Myers. It was like a demo flight or something like that. Mm, yeah. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. And, you know, I just flew it like a regular airplane. I pointed the nose in the right direction, et cetera. It had a yeah. lot of coaching, though. So on the way down, but uh, it doesn't quite slow down like a 172. No, then, and you know, the, a lot of them with the swept wings, you know, some of the citations have the straight wings and a lot of them with the swept wings, they, they don't slow down. So, but, but you learn how to kind of foresee what the airplane's going to need in terms of altitude, in terms of distance in order to get it where you want it to be. You, you pick it up pretty quick. And, and obviously, you know, Carl, you've done this in larger aircraft. You do end up figuring out what the airplane likes to do when you need it to do what you want it to. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. The, the plane I was trying to remember was a Hawker. It was a Hawker. Ah, Hawker. Yeah. And uh, that that is a cool airplane. But what's it what's it like to fly like what you're flying? You said you're flying a uh, you're flying what a. Yep. So today, um, I'm actually current on three different types. A Falcon 2000, what they call a classic, uh, which means they just don't make that version of the 2000 anymore. It's the first, uh, one of the first versions that came out. And then also a Challenger 604. And uh, just recently in July, I went to school on a Challenger, the brand new Challenger 350. So I'm, I'm current in three, though I'm not actively flying all three every day, every week, every month. But uh, kind of, you know, a lot of times people who fly corporate jets, uh, the owners will end up selling it and buying a new one. And there's tax reasons behind that often. But when they do that, there's kind of a transition period where, you know, you're, you're current in the old jets, but now you're flying the old jets. So I'm kind of in that transition now where I'm still current in some old ones and then still kind of trying to learn how to fly the new one, even though I've been through training already. You know what impresses me about corporate jets? The, just looking at all the avionics. Oh, it's unbelievable. I tell you what, the new one that we that we have uh, that I'm that I was flying recently on uh, it's got XM weather. And for me, that's a first. And and I tell you, we went around a couple of uh, lines as we took this thing across uh, the country last week. And it, I tell you, the XM weather just took all the guesswork out of it. And I know a lot of listeners probably have that in their Cessnas or on their iPads, but that was unbelievable. But yeah, a lot of the avionics capabilities are pretty amazing. You know, it, to be honest, GA has been a little bit ahead of the curve on this. And, and when I say GA, I mean your Cirruses and your, uh, you know, some of your smaller airplanes, to be frank. Uh, in terms of avionics, you know, a lot of corporate aircraft only in the last three to five years have started incorporating WAS, you know, the LPV approaches and uh, the XM weather as an example. So, uh, the, you know, I think what's different is you've got a bunch of big screens with all kinds of data on them. So it looks like a lot, but it's really not very different than standard gauges in an old airplane or even the glass displays in some of the Cessnas. There's just more of them. Yeah, it's interesting. The the bigger planes I flew didn't have all the glass that a lot of the new Cessnas have. Yeah, and that's the same thing in some of these corporate jets. But you know, another thing that a lot of people ask me, and I had a listener ask this question, is how about the synthetic vision? Now, yeah. by that, there's many different forms of synthetic vision. I have, we have to. There's a caveat here. There's heads up displays that have. They're very rudimentary. Yeah, all the way to. Yeah different ones with cameras, et cetera. Um, have you ever seen these systems? They, it looks pretty cool. And, and what do they do for you? Yeah, so it is on the new Challenger 350 on what they call the ProLine 21 Advanced Avionics. And uh, so, yeah, I'm trained on it and current on it. And, you know, to be honest, in, in, at least in the 350, what it does is just give you a cooler attitude indicator, a cooler look. 
Um, I, I can't necessarily say that it's something that would be useful. And, and, and as a matter of fact, in the manuals for the synthetic vision, it says in there very clearly, do not depend on this for terrain clearance, do not depend on this for navigation, et cetera. So at least I can only speak to the 350. It's a beautiful picture. And I think it does raise safety because you, you get a bit more situational awareness in terms of what's up and what's down. But beyond that, that's about it. Now, I know some of the more advanced synthetic visions that are you know, using the cameras like you talked about and tying them into HUD systems can really put an amazing picture together for you. But uh, it, it all depends on the level of synthetic vision that you're using. Now, that synthetic vision, again, some places you have to use it. I don't know on the, on the corporate side, but I know there's certain airlines you have to use a heads-up display the whole time. And yeah. And, yeah, what happens in corporate quite often is – uh, you have to use it because it's what you as a flight department have decided to do as part of your standard operating procedures. So you know, I have a friend who they mandate turning it all on 18,000 to the ground and to the, from the ground up to 18,000. So quite often you'll see in, in um, the interest of safety, departments say, we've got this, we've paid for it, it's a resource, let's use it. So I've seen people that have flown these and that's all they fly and they say yeah. when it fails – they have a real tough time. It's very uncomfortable <laughs> having to flare the airplane. Yeah, now imagine yeah. that. And, you know that that's you, you're not really you're you're relying on it so much to give you that attitude. And uh, you know, I took notice of this same jet that they were talking about uh, when it was landing, and I was like, "Wow, that's a high pitch attitude." And he says, "Yeah, man." He says, "When you when that thing fails, uh, you you really are uncomfortable." You know, I yeah. wouldn't say unsafe, but but definitely a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, sure. you get used to using it. Yeah, Eric, you had a question. Yeah, I was actually just curious. Um, you know, one of those things we often talk about currency in the private aviation world or the recreational aviation world, but current actually means something different um, <laughs> in your world, Tom. And I wondered if maybe you could talk about from the typical recreational pilot's perspective on currency. When you say you're current in three jets, maybe elaborate on what that really means. Yeah, so it, it kind of all depends who you talk to, and it kind of depends on your philosophy, and of course, then there are the regs. But in, in general terms, what it means is that you've been to either an initial training, which is a first-time training on the jet, or you've been to a recurrent training in the last 12 months. Now, there are caveats to that where you can be doing uh, maybe flying two or three different types of airplanes, and then you don't need to go within 12 months on one of them. There's some different variations of that. But generally, you've been to school in the last 12 months is what current means. And then, of course, you know that, that would keep uh, the insurers happy, and that would keep the regulators happy and all that. But then, of course, there's practical currency. You know, I've been to school on the Falcon in the last 12 months, but uh, you know, I, have, I haven't flown hundreds and hundreds of hours this year. And so it, it's a matter of what... And again, it goes back to what I talked about earlier. You know, of course, there's the regs, but then a lot of departments and, and operators who fly corporate aircraft will establish their own bottom lines for currency. I, I even know some operators who say, hey, you know what? We know insurance likes every 12 months, but we go every nine. You know, so it, it, all, it all depends on who you talk to and what's, what their philosophy is on currency. Uh, and, and you can even drill down further into that. You know, I can think of uh, when, when I fly corporate jets, uh, we use a risk evaluation form. And we go through a checklist of different things to see, you know, what's our risk on this flight? Are we high risk? Are we low risk? And one of the factors in there is, hey, how much have you flown in the last 30 days? So we look at different things to determine the currency, which at the end of the day is really to determine what the safety margin is that we're trying to achieve. 
Right. I, I really like that approach where you view currency not as a, a checkbox in your logbook, but as a as a as an operating practice. I think there's yeah. there's something valuable in that 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 we can take back into private and recreational flying too. We talked uh, in the last episode a little bit about personal SOPs because we were mm-hmm. talking about risk management and risk mitigation and the the process we go through as private and recreational pilots. And uh, there's something to be said there. Having your own, you know, we you know, we call them personal minimums. You, yep, yep. Same basic principle applies everywhere. But uh, there's something useful to be said there. And of course, you guys are flying um, high speed aircraft in high demand airspace, um, and you're doing it in all weather, all times of the year. Um, but you could say the same thing about private and recreational pilots. Yeah, yeah, you know, course, there are sure. there are a lot of us that are flying in heavy class B airspace. Um, you know, we're flying. Uh, maybe with or without ATC assistance. And being current um, doesn't necessarily just mean, okay, well, I went to the regs, okay, I'm current. Um, right. And we deal with this a lot with uh, new student pilots. You know, their initial reaction is, okay, well, I'm legally current. Well, yes, <laughs> but, <laughs> but are, you, are, you, are you proficient for the flight you're about to go on? So thank you for clearing that up. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no problem. And I can think back, as you spoke, reminded me of a time when, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I, this was probably six or seven years ago, did some contract flying. <clears throat> and uh, I was currently flying the Challenger 601, but I was still current <laughs> on paper in the Challenger 604. But I hadn't flown it for a good six or seven months. And I picked up a contract trip on the 604. So a friend of mine was actually an instructor at flight safety on the 604. And I called him up and I said, hey, you know, you got any spare time? You could throw me in the sim for an hour because I've got this trip next week. I haven't seen a 604 in six or seven months, and I'd like to show up looking like I know what I'm talking about. And so, and, and so I ended up doing that, going down uh, and, and spending an hour in the sim, the 604 sim with him, just going through standard stuff and a few general uh, abnormalities so that my head was a little bit more in the game. And, and that helped a lot. When I showed up, we, we, I, I'll never forget, we were just pushed the power up rolling down the runway and I had forgotten, you know, how much fun that airplane was. But I was so thankful at that moment that I had, you know, taken pretty much an entire day of my life to drive a couple of hours to the sim, sit in it, spend some time with him, and drive all the way home. I was, I was thankful I had done that as a, as a currency thing for myself as we pushed the power up on the runway in that airplane. I'll never forget that. I think recreational pilots sometimes, and I've fallen into this trap too, take for granted the fact that, you know, a, a private pilot single engine land, there's a lot of airplanes you can fly. Yeah. And, and, you know, technically that you're current to fly in. Yeah, right. Um, you know, I can jump in a, I can jump in a Cirrus. I can jump in, you know, and, and having never, ever been in that airplane before and be yeah. legal and current to fly it. And I think, yeah. you know, some of the listeners may be listening and saying, well, of course, it's a, you know, it's a challenger. You know, I'd want to have that experience. But, you know, just having been in that same position, which this, the same exact thing occurs in private recreational aviation every day. Where you know, hey, um, I got to get my airplane over to maintenance, but I can't take it. Can you take it for me? Well, I've never flown a 182 before. Mm-hmm. It can't be that different, you know. <laughs> and, yeah. But yeah. and it happens all the time. And um, you know, the, the airlines have differences training. Carl can talk a little bit yeah. about that, maybe about you know, even even when you're talking about the same body, there's still there's still always going to be differences training because we understand the fact that yes, it may be the same basic aircraft, but they all have their quirks, and you really have to know what those quirks are. In normal operations, it'll never bother you. But it's that one time on a Tuesday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon where you weren't expecting something to happen. Yeah, that's or, where or you're a light be really that you thankful hadn't, for that training. 
That's right. That's right. You know, or a light you've never seen uh, has come on and, 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 and all kinds of things. That differences training carries over into corporate too. And uh, a lot of times you'll see crews, um, you know, they'll purchase a new airplane and it's very similar to their old airplane. You know, the, the perfect example I can think of is indeed the Challenger. You know, that started out uh, the Challenger 300 uh, series and became the Challenger 350. And I met a crew recently who they sold their Challenger 300. They bought a Challenger 350. And he said, yeah, when we went to the factory, we didn't even take a Bombardier pilot. We just uh, took off by ourselves. And I thought, well, okay, that's your comfort level. Um, you know, I wonder what a, and you know, this is, this is Tom being the, the optimistic pessimist, but you know, I wonder what a group of jurors would say if you blew a tire, ran off the runway and there was a lawsuit, you know, you really have to think beyond yourself when you make decisions about taking airplanes into the air that though you may be current on, you might not be proficient in. I think that's a common, I found myself having that conversation a lot with young flight instructors. Yes. They, they, yes. they, they propose this idea and to them it makes total sense. And my reply is usually, okay, put yourself in this position. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, yeah, this yeah. person, and then they immediately the light bulb goes off. It's like, oh, Whoa! I didn't even think about that. So like you always, you always got to think outside of your little sphere. Sure, is it legal? Yes. Um, you know, do I have to fly left-hand traffic pattern? Nope, you don't. Right. Um, right. But if you run into something on the right side, are you going to get in trouble? Yes. <laughs> so, I, it, you know, it's just it's one of those things, and it, an operation can be. And we talk about this all the time, but an operation that's completely legal doesn't necessarily mean that it's safe. That's exactly right. Speaking of legal, Tom, there's you said operating rules, part 91. Um, the, do you have specific rules? I'm a little confused on that. Uh, do you have specific rules in writing that you've presented to the FAA that allow you to operate the aircraft in a certain way? Or are these things yeah, that you've just a, come up with? That's a good question. So uh, the answer is yes and no. And by yes, what I mean is there are certain things when, when you start getting over certain weights in aircraft that you have to apply for um, what they call letter LOAs, letters of authorization, in order to use specific functions of the airplane. So a perfect example is RVSM, which uh, uh, which might be a new term to some of the Cessna pilots, but that's basically uh, airspace above 29 up to 41, where you need to have certain training in order to operate there, and the airplane has to have a certain equipment and certain authorization in order to operate up there. That authorization being that that letter of authorization, that LOA, and and you can carry. There's a laundry list of them. You need one for LPV. You need one for all these different things, and so. Although you're just pulling out the FARs and operating under Part 91, if you want to use the full functionality of a lot of the business jets and corporate jets, you have to become real good friends with your local FISDO. <laughs> and that's not an easy task. And so this is when you start to see people who purchase these hire staff. You know, they hire a chief pilot, they hire pilots, they hire a director of maintenance because it becomes a full-time job not only taking care of things like letters of authorization, but also staying in compliance with all the manufacturer updates and all the maintenance updates and change authorizations and all these different things. So these people that own these aircraft, do they actually fly them also? Does you know, that's an interesting question. They, yes, they do. Uh, not many, but they do. And I can think of, um, uh, I, I know a few, not personally, but um, uh, names that everybody would recognize in this that's listening to this show who fly their own airplane. And I'm not talking about, you know, a small Cessna. I'm talking about Falcon 900s and uh, uh, Falcon 7Xs. And, uh, yeah, they fly them, some of them. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I saw, what's his name? Uh, I was in White Plains, and I was right next to, taxi next to John Travolta. 
and yeah. walking out. And I said, God, that guy looks familiar. Do I know him? Yes. And uh, my friend I was with said, Hey, you idiot! That's John Travolta. Yeah. And he uh, he has a he has a Gulfstream. I, I don't know. He had a Gulfstream when I was I was flying next to him. He uh, he actually has a pilot with him uh, yeah. most of the time, which. I'm assuming if you're not going to fly a jet all the time, that's probably what most people do. Yes, the smart ones do still have a staff, and they'll fly with their pilot. You know, oftentimes the pilot will sit in the right seat, and the owner just wants to fly, you know. Um, so, yeah, definitely. And it's funny, uh, Travolta is actually a spokesman for Bombardier now. So when we were up picking up this 350, uh, you know, his, his picture's plastered all over in Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's he's actually supposed to person for many things, but uh, air. I just I like him because he loves airplanes and uh, yeah, he, he does. He's very really, passionate. Yes, extremely passionate. Yeah, Tom, going back to that differences training, I just want to kind of put a little more granularity on that differences training. Like for the airlines, it may just be a PowerPoint presentation. Mm. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to actually fly the airplane. When you get in the airplane, it's like, oh my gosh, now I'm actually flying this thing, and uh, I better better review before I get in the plane. Is there anything like that in the corporate world where you, I know you had mentioned it with the 300 and 350, but do you find yourself doing that, having to review things before you jump on the plane? Oh, yeah, yeah. And we're starting to see more of that uh, simply because it's, it's cost effective where crews can do their differences training online. And, uh, of course, that doesn't, you know, take the place of, like you said, Carl, sitting in the airplane and actually playing with the avionics for a little bit or having a, a more experienced person in that particular airframe show you, hey, look out for this, watch out for that, this airplane does this, this airplane does that. So, yeah, we're seeing more um, simplified differences training. But, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's really no different than, than, than any airplane from a Cessna up through a, a Global Express. A lot of times you just got to get in the thing and fly it. You know, you got to get in there and you got to use it. And uh, it would behoove you, however, no matter the airplane, to have someone a little bit more experienced pointing the way. Uh, so you just you keep higher safety margins. You make less mistakes. Interesting. Well, Tom, how about the cool factor of flying these things? I, I want to talk a little bit about that. I mean, as you know, I was flying this 182, and I thought it, I was like the cat's meow. I was climbing out at 1,200 feet per minute. And I was just blasting off. I'm going. I feel like I'm in a in a jet fighter. You know what? What kind of climb rates do you have in in the jets that you fly? Yeah, it it varies really by model. You know, a lot of airplanes you'd see it on the ramp. You say, "Man, look at that thing!" I'll bet you that's a rocket, and it's not. And the perfect example is the 2000 Classic. is so underpowered. But even even with a full load blasting off on a hot day, we can still get 2,000 2,500 feet a minute uh, initially. Now. Some of the newer airplanes, I, I did fly a Falcon 2000S uh, this year, the demo, and then this new 350, I mean, their initial climb rates are in the five to 7,000 feet. I mean, you're a mile a minute straight up if you were to draw out the vector scale of it. So uh, it, they're quite amazing. I flew the Lear 45 for about a year and a half, and that, that is an F-16 with passenger seats. I mean, it just goes straight up. And so, yeah, you get amazing climb rates. I, I remember I used to fly, I was in the airlines for some time, and I flew an airplane uh, maybe your listeners have seen this out and about called the Dornier 328 jet. And it's basically a high wing, straight wing, twin engine jet. The engines hang off the wings. And that thing, I'm no joke. I remember taking off out of Newark and uh, we would we'd do like a right downwind departure out of Newark as we headed up towards Boston. And we'd be right downwind a beam on the climb out at 10,000 feet. I mean, the thing went straight up. And uh, so it, it really varies by model. But yeah, the, the climb rates, they're impressive. Even today, I just you're amazed. You look down at the VSI, and you're just going, wow. 
<laughs> and, and also the descent rates. I mean, you're, you're coming down like a rocket. I mean, I, I flew with a guy who's who's military in a C-17. He said he he does a tactical descent at twenty three thousand feet per minute down, <laughs> and uh, that's just just heading. You know, in two minutes you're on the ground. Uh, yeah. You also can come down super fast, right? You sure can. As a matter of fact, uh, about a month and a half ago, I was up in a Falcon, and we had to do a bunch of pre major check stuff. And uh, so one of the things that we had to do was an emergency descent. So we went up to about, now we didn't depressurize or anything like that, but we had to go through the procedure to test out some of the uh, flight spoilers and uh, air brakes, they're called in the Falcon, things like that. So uh, we went up to, I think it was 35,000 feet. We got a clearance down to 10 and uh, we dumped everything out and descended at what's called VMO or max Mach, and which is red line to make it simple. And that thing, I had never done that in the airplane, came down it was amazing. And I, and I forget, you know, time is warped when you're in the moment. <laughs> it, it felt like a minute and a half from 35 down to 10. Now, it was probably three minutes, but it was amazing. They really do come down if you need them to, which is, you know, and, and there are certification uh, requirements for those airplanes to be able to come down. That's it's a big reason why you see uh, flight spoilers or speed brakes or air brakes, depending on the model, why you see those on the wing where they can raise the flight spoilers, which will really disrupt the airflow, create a lot of drag so they can get down. And that's a lot of times for certification. I remember in the Lear 45, you couldn't use the uh, flight spoilers with the flaps extended. And so with that came some limitations on, on getting down. And so the manufacturers have to look at the ability of the airplane to descend rapidly. And uh, when it's all said and done and the airframe is built and compliant with the regulations, they come down. If you, re if you need them to, they do come down fast. And, and the example there, Carl, you know this from flying airliners is smoke, you know, smoke or fire. Right, right. Interesting, interesting. Hey, hey Tom, um, I, I sort of, as we've been talking about this, and I know sort of hearing the kind of planes you fly now, um, how you got from where some of us are, which is GA to where yeah. you're at now. And I, not, a, not a, like a law, you don't need to go into too much detail, but right. it, it is a career, you know, it's, it's a career path that is an option. There's many other ones, but it's a cool one. A lot of people think about, and you know, how'd you end up where you are? Yeah. I, you know, I was in the airlines for about four and a half years and I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, I was based out of Dulles for a while, Washington, Dulles, uh, near Washington. And we would taxi by the signature ramp there where all the corporate jets were. And I thought, you know, that's really cool, but I'll never get to do that because I'm an airline pilot. Well, I was laid off or furloughed from the airlines. And I thought this is my opportunity to go mm. check that out. And so what I did was I literally started knocking on doors. I went around to the local airport and I, I did some research on who operated what and I just started knocking on doors and got a lucky break uh, into the Lear 45. That was my first corporate jet. And that's been my story ever since. I've, I've always just knocked on doors, networked, and uh, worked my way up through the career that way. And, right. you know, it's... it's it's I love the I love the business aviation side so much. So it's always been easy to kind of build a group, and then you know it's such a small community. So you all stay in touch, and you kind of help each other out and scratch yeah. each other's back. And uh, uh, so yeah, that's how I got into it. Cool. Yeah, and and the, yeah, I, that makes perfect sense because I can imagine there, if you're doing that for a living, there you know who else is kind of, or there's a few of you who tend sure. to see each other crossing paths. And so um, the other question I have, just this is sort of a career lifestyle question generally, yeah. you know, without any specifics. I, cause I worked, um, for a pretty big company and, and I, although I wasn't quite high enough up to be in the jet a lot, <laughs> I did, I get, did get to ride, get a couple rides from Chicago to LA. I don't, I don't wow. know what it was and I wasn't a pilot at the time. Um, uh, but 
but I, it made me want so from a passenger point of view, it's fabulous, of course, because you don't, you know, you're not doing, uh, what it's one of the executives call it the security macarena where you're, you know, you're patting yourself down right. and checking and you know, all that stuff, you know, you're pre-checked, they've got your credentials, you show up, it's all, you know, it's just gorgeous. And, and yet at the same time, it occurs to me that as an employee who is responsible for that flight on some minimal amount of notice, it must be an interesting life from that point of view. Um, so I don't know if there's a way to talk about what it's like to be sort of on call or ready yeah. to go, you know, what, what, how does that, I mean, in a general way, what can it be like, or what, what are the, what, what's the range of how that can, how that can well, be? Well, yeah, that's a great question and a great observation. You know, it, it, it can be what you want it to be. You know, I've been on call, I've had schedules known, uh, you know, month plus out and, mm -hmm. and I liked both, you know, so it really depends. A lot of times you'll see more of the charter operations, more of an on-call status, whereas you'll right. see corporations have a schedule. Um, and so it, it just depends. And, uh, I, I've enjoyed both. I, there's pros uh -huh. and cons to both, to be honest with you. If they have a, is, is the regular schedule, um, set up partly because they, they want the thing to be flying, they want to be making use of it. So once they kind of make the decision to go there, then using it frequently is, is part of that so that, yeah. you know, then they've got a crew and that crew pretty much has a full-time job because if they're not flying today, they're flying tomorrow or whatever, it's regular enough that you're not sitting around. Yeah. Right? So the way, the way it works is actually, you know, the, one of the first questions that you get asked, if you're going to go out and you want to buy a corporate jet or you want to have one of those jet cars or you want to rent a jet is how much you're going to fly it because that'll determine how much money you're going to spend. And uh -huh. if you graph all of this out, there's a point at which it makes more sense to own. And so then when you own, then you got to staff it and each owner has their own, Oh, let's say way they use the schedule. <laughs> right. Some of them, um, you know, some of them are very scheduled and others are not. So it, it's really airplane by airplane, department by department. Right. And do, are, are there, I assume there's situations where companies share jets these days? Yeah, that, that, that does exist, but it gets hard, real complicated, complicated from a tax yeah. standpoint. Yeah. yeah so okay. you don't, you, you see less and less of that, especially with the emergence of some of the big fractionals like NetJets and FlexJet. They can come in and take care of that without companies having to deal I with see. taxes and everything. Yeah. And who's taking the plane? Wait a yeah. minute. Those guys got fighting got, over it. Yeah. Right. Right. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a it's a wonderful part of, of the aviation world when you're in business. Um, you yeah, know, it's, to, it's interesting to have that access, you know, because I know that we in our situation, we had to this meeting came up and we had to get there and we and there wasn't time to do it. And that's way. that's exactly the point right there. You know, there's this perception out there about private air, private jets, corporate jets that, oh, it's a it's a tool for the for the rich guys. It's, you know, the, the fat right. cats. They fly. And right. I'll tell you what, I've I've rarely in, in in flying on the business aviation side for almost 10 years now. I have rarely seen these airplanes abused and used as that. Now, you know, there's a few celebrities I've seen that happen. But but, you know, we're talking in the one to three percent range over 10 years. These people buy these airplanes, own them, operate them, rent them. They do that because they're time machines. And, yep. you know, if you, if you really think about it, if you're an investor, if you're a shareholder of a company and you've got your money tied up in that business and you're depending on people to make decisions and seek opportunities and be the first to market, do you want those people standing in line at the airport? You know, that's right. your money that's paying for their time. And so they're really time machines and the smart businesses. And, and there's a there's an organization out there called uh, No Plane, No Gain. 
that talks about, or actually doesn't talk about it, shows all the statistics on businesses that use these and businesses that don't, how the performance metrics uh, compare. And so, you know, a lot of listeners out there, if you see these things on the ramp, the majority of the time, they're not just sitting there costing money. They're sitting there actually making money for the business. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, I, again, not a not a deep user of of the debt <laughs> by any means, but but the the times I was there, I got why it mattered. I mean, it totally made a yes. difference, and we got yes. we got in and out and did the thing we needed to do, and we had to do uh, quickly. And often it was a, it was a semi last minute thing. So anyway, yeah. but yeah, I totally I totally get it. It's it's a very necessary part of the part of the business. Yeah, I think there's uh, Warren Buffett. I think is, is uh, tells a story about uh, he's Warren somewhere I read. And this this big rich guy, he in, he bought a company and he hired a CEO and he did all this stuff. And he went to his CEO and, the, and he said, okay, the first thing I want you to do is go buy an airplane. Because he knew that company <laughs> couldn't get from where it was to where he wanted it to be as an investor without the airplane. Right. There you go. Right there. Cool. Fascinating. Carl? Fascinating. You know, it's interesting because one of the things I thought would be really cool is uh, someday maybe be able to rent my own jet. And, you know, that, that seems like it's, it seems so far out there and out of reach, but, um, but as a time machine, you know, they're, uh, the company that my wife works for, I mean, they, they use uh, a corporate aircraft and, uh, they use airlines quite a bit, but the corporate aircraft gets the CEO from point A to point B. Uh, they got rid of the plane and started using a different one. But what's interesting is it's a good segue because one of the things that I, I found out about renting a jet, because, you know, we all talk about, hey, that'd be cool to rent a jet. Or, <laughs> you know, we talk about flying in a, a steerman or flying in a fighter aircraft. You know, there's ways to do that. But I found a way to do that. Uh, and actually, it was on your podcast uh, called the mm-hmm. Private Jet Podcast, Episode Nine, where it talks about rent a jet. Here is how. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, before we talk about that, I mean, they can go out to Episode Nine. Tell us a little bit about this this Private Jet Podcast you have, because I think people should really listen to it if you want to know about the corporate world. So, what is it you do with the Private Jet Podcast, and why is it there? Yeah, well, I you know I started the Private Jet Podcast because I I. I, I love the business side of aviation, but you know when you look out on the ramp or you look in a hangar and you see, you know, a corporate jet sitting there, that is, it's like the tip of the iceberg. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes to make that thing happen and to make it happen safely. And so I, I've really grown fascinated over the last five years or so with everything that goes into the back end of it, and found that it, you know our industry, the corporate private jet industry, is still really in its infancy in terms of, in terms of. Uh, professionalism is the wrong word, but in terms of best practices. And so, you know, what are the things you need to do from a leadership perspective, from an operational perspective? All these different questions started coming up in my mind over the last couple of years. And so I thought, you know what, the only way I'm going to learn about it is to start talking about it. And so (laughs) that's how I started the show. That that was the the aha moment that I had one day. And, you know, and and I decided, okay, well, that's all about me, but how can I make the show really about the listeners? And so, it's become this idea of talking about things that reduce risk and increase value. Because if you think about it, if you're an owner or an operator or you rent, that's what you want. You want lowest costs for maximum value. And so what are the things that we need to cover to make that happen? And that's what the show is today. And so it's, it's a learning platform for me and hopefully for other people. I, I love hearing from you guys when you say, oh, I learned this and I learned that because that's exactly what it's about. It's really to, to educate myself and to get all of us together in the industry talking about the things that matter so that, you know, these owners and these operators so that they get the product that they're paying for. Well, Tom, you've done a great job. For me personally, uh, there's some episodes out there that I thought were awesome. Uh, one of them's uh, interestingly enough, the culture. 
and when you mm. talk about culture. And you can find yes. these at the privatejetpodcast.com slash topics, and you can find all these things. The other one was when you talked about hiring people, hiring leaders in aviation. Oh, yeah, um, with Van Allen. Yeah, yep, that was awesome. And that the my absolute fa- – well, there's two favorites. The, the SMS discussion, safety management systems, yes. that yeah. I think is a must for anybody who's in school right now and wants to learn. You have that uh, – who was it with, uh, again, the, uh, the host, the guest you had? Yeah, the SMS we did, I believe that was with uh, Dr. Goodhart. Dr. Goodhart, right. And he was terrific and a very knowledgeable person. He actually teaches over at Embry-Riddle. And uh, the other one that I thought was cool is that upset recovery training one you had. Oh, that was, yeah. So if you're listening to this and you want to learn, you want to hear about uh, aviation and business aviation, just check these out. I mean, of course, the one that I I thought was cool is rent rent a business jet. (laughs) You know, I thought that was pretty neat. And I still one day I want to, I'm going to win the lottery and just, just rent a jet and go. I gotta, I gotta rent a, I don't know, an Airbus or something. I just gotta fly coast to coast, and that, that'd be just like kind of fun. You know, Can you can you do all that. Please make sure that you give me a phone call. I will. <laughs> I will do that. But you know, and Rick too. Don't forget Rick. <laughs> oh, Rick, everybody's just gonna fly. Don't get to participate because they want. Yeah, he's just gonna fly by my house and wave. Out wave. The no, I'll I'll stop by and pick <laughs> you up. Well, you maybe maybe uh, coming and then not show up. <laughs> when no. when stuck, Mike Media buys their airplane, then you'll be good. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's pretty far off, <laughs> I tell you. But you know, Tom, I tell you, it's it's fun because all these neat things that we're talking about, it makes you dream about this too. Mm. I mean, say you're not interested in this, and and you know, you're not an owner, you're not somebody who operates it, but gosh, you know, it makes me dream about. Gosh, what's that like? The cabin interiors, that's so cool. Yeah. I mean. I've uh, the only times I've ever been on corporate jets. It's been like, wow, look at the interiors of these things. Some beautiful. I mean, it, yeah. it describes some of them to us. I mean, what what do they look like on the inside? Yeah. So uh, the majority of them, you know, I've seen corporate operators who get kind of a standard Greyhound bus interior, where it's literally just seats. You know, and, and to the average person, it's wow, this is beautiful. But when you talk about it relative to other corporate jets, it's pretty standard. And and so what you see quite often is very exotic. Uh, I would say so. It's a lot of uh, a lot of very shiny, polished veneer. Um, you know, real dark mahoganies. You see the finest leather. You see great stitching. You see uh, uh, there's a term for it: uh, special type of carpet that is just it's soft on the feet, but it still meets all the fire regulations. And uh, you see extreme luxury, luxury to the to the very nth of the degree. I, I remember I flew an airplane for some time, and the owner had. Uh, napkins with their family's initials in the napkins. Not too big of a deal, but those napkins were outlined with the initials and, and kind of some stitching that matched the paint scheme on the outside of the airplane, that matched you know our shirts as crew, that ma- and everything just went together. And, and so it, it's, you know, I, I tell you, one thing that's funny about people who have these airplanes, and more so on the private owner side, is you know, some of them have some very interesting uh, taste. And <laughs> if you go out, you know, on a lot of websites, you can see some pretty exotic paint jobs and pretty exotic interiors. But on, on, for the most part, these people really know what's nice, you know, the finer things in life. And so you see that reflected in the cabins, in the furnishings, in the entertainment systems. Uh, it, it's just quality. I mean, they just uh, reek of quality. You know, Tom, the most interesting thing I saw was uh, I used to fly on a Gulfstream, and this owner had. Oh. A uh, in his one of his tables. I forget what you, you call it resin. He had resin inside that resin. You could see all these different uh, pictures and memorabilia yeah. from his boat, his yacht down in the Bahamas. And yeah. uh, he had the same table 
at his house at his in in the Bahamas. That's what he would fly back yeah. and forth in. So his whole theme was his yacht, his plane, his helicopter, everything he matched. That's and, really uh, cool. It was really really neat. But Tom, you know, tell us a little bit about the Private Jet Podcast and and uh, and some of the things that you're doing here, what you're doing now, but also what you're going to do with this in the future. Yeah, so we're it's really you know my goal is really to bring a lot of industry experts out, talk to them about uh, you know things that are important to our industry and things that some of the listeners, you know, my audience is I've got some general aviation listeners, but a lot of it is more management types and corporate pilot types uh, who who are trying to run these assets smart and efficient for their owners or for their operators. And so we try to bring a lot of people on who who are experts in that. You know, we talked about Dr. Goodhart earlier, who's just you know I. I don't think I'm not. I haven't found anyone in the world that's smarter than him when it comes to SMS and his Bayo and all those types of things. Uh, and again, we may be getting into maybe topics that are a little bit beyond general aviation audience, but uh, these are the things we talk about on the show. And at the end of the day, you know, no matter who I bring on or, or what topic I talk about, I always try to keep in focus that idea of, you know, reducing risk and increasing value. So every topic is really around that concept. Well, I know that. I think uh, Eric, you've you've listened to this podcast a few times, have you not? I actually have. I, I credit. I don't credit Carl with much, as the listeners know, <laughs> but um, I do. I do credit Carl with uh, cluing me in uh, to Tom's podcast because right about the time I got to know Carl digitally uh, was about the same time I was really getting into podcasts, mm. and there were a few that I was listening to, um, and I've always, I've, I mean, I've always loved Stuck Mike. Um, and, uh, and so I got to know Carl and, um, I guess as part of, um, a, a chat we had done for aviation careers podcast, um, he asked me if I'd ever listened to the, uh, to your podcast, Tom. And uh, I was like, no, I didn't know that existed. So I, I went out and, um, I, <laughs> I, I got onto Carl afterward cause I, I can't say I wasted the day, but I, I literally spent an entire day, um, just looking through episodes because i mean you've wow. got a lot of content up there i mean a ton of content and as a former corporate pilot i just i i found myself constantly just that thing you know just nodding my head um like yep, yeah that's yeah, totally thank you. the way it is that's the way it is um and i think uh and i thought back to it, i was like man i wish this was around when i was doing this all the time because um especially you know breaking into that market, which you talk about a lot in your podcast, getting started. Because like many things in aviation, that's really the hardest part. Once you get in the door, being in the the market is, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's definitely not as hard as getting in. Yeah. Um, and it is a lot about networking. It is a lot about, um, you're a, you are in business for yourself and you promote yourself. Um, it's, it's much like being in marketing, but your, yep. your product is you. Um, and, uh, and so I like a lot of the insight you have, I think for the up and coming corporate pilots, many of which I have in my college program, um, it's the kind of advice I think it's really, really spot on because I think a lot of people come into it and like, well, you know, I don't want that. I don't want the airline schedule. Um, I want to do, you know, just out and backs during the day and work three days a week and make hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, when, when they hear me talk about Don't, don't we all? <laughs> yeah, I, that sounds like a great job. Um, but, you know, when they hear me talk about my corporate experience, a lot of it, that was my very unique corporate experience mm-hmm. because I flew for um, a charter company. So most of what we did was banking and real estate 
And yeah, it was out and backs. In three years, I did three overnights. I mean, because right. th- they didn't want to fly on the weekends. They wanted to go out, seal their deal, and come home. Um, but that's very, and that's one of the things I try to impress upon our students. But it's so great to have that feedback from somebody like you, Tom, who's been been around and done more um, in the field to explain that you know corporate is not one job. That's Yes. That's, that's like saying, right. I want to be a pilot. That's the, mo- that's the least descriptive thing you can possibly say um, because there are 40 million types of pilots. Well, there's 40 million types of corporate operations too. And, um, and so anyway, if, if I had to boil it down into one thing, I think the, the greatest value in your podcast from my perspective being former corporate and now working with up-and-coming pilots is just the, the varied insight you offer so that people don't think of corporate pilot the way that we often think of airline pilot. That's one type right. of job where every right. airline is different. Every operator is different. So I, yeah, I really yeah. appreciate it. I love the content. No, I, I, I thank you for those remarks. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think, you know, you had mentioned there that, you had, you know, I wish I had something like this when I was growing up. Well, and that's why I started this, you know, is because I, I wish I had these things, you know, nobody in, in corporate aviation, there's, we've got a long way to go when it comes to mentoring. And, you know, it, it, there's so many things that if you want to go into corporate aviation, that you need to learn to do it correctly. And so, you know, I'm starting, I'm trying to learn a lot of those things still, you know, you'll never stop. And, and, and I think one of the biggest lessons you'll learn in, in the corporate side of things is it's not about you. You know, so much of what you do as a corporate pilot is not about you. Sure. You get to fly a a cool, fancy jet and you get to go to destinations and, 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 and that's all fine and great. But at the end of the day, you're there to serve someone else. You're there to make someone else's life easier. And so what are the best practices and the things you need to be thinking about and the things you need to be doing in order to make that happen? And, and, and that, you know, that's a big premise of the private jet podcast. So, uh, yeah, your, your students are in a better place than you and I were coming up in this industry. And, uh, and I'm glad the show has been helpful. Thank you for those remarks. Yeah, it's funny because I, we, there's a lot of corporate jet traffic right here in the I-4 corridor between Orlando and Tampa. And um, the other day, I remember um, a student come up, came up to me and said, there's this um, just really awesome corporate jet outside. And I just I wish I could talk to those people, but, you know, and figure out what they do, because that's what I want to do. But, yeah. you know, I, I just fly to Cessna. I was like, OK, stop. If those people are corporate pilots, they would love to show you that airplane. Yes. <laughs> they would love to show off the airplane. That's yes. the best part of the job is when people come up and say, you know, can I look inside? Absolutely, you can look inside, and it's it's one of those serious um, pride points. I don't think that's a bad thing. It's it's a it's a point of pride to say, yeah, absolutely, come check out the airplane. And it ended up turning into a you know a thirty minute conversation where this student ended up with both pilots' business cards, and, and both of them saying, hey, you know, if you ever need tips yep. or you have questions, give me a call, shoot me an email, I'm happy to help. And they came back to me like, man, you were right, they were really helpful. I'm like, well. You know, but and that's the thing. I think a lot of the students are afraid to ask, mm-hmm. but from experience, a lot of the pilots are afraid to reach out because they, you know, they don't they don't know what to say or how to start yes. that conversation. Yes, and, and, and I, I think, think that carries over. That, exactly, and it carries over to GA too. I mean, I, I remember being on ramps before, and you see the guy coming out, and he he's got oh, what what is the, uh, the what is the uh, Cessna that used to be the Lance Air? The T, is it TTX? The Columbia, yeah. I remember he was walking out to his Columbia, and he kept looking over at the jet, and and I'm looking over his Columbia, and I'm thinking, I would sure like to see what what's up with that, you know. And I <laughs> and he's looking over at the jet, and I, I'm, you know, we never connected, but I, like you said, I'm 
we're both looking at each other like, yeah, definitely go talk from students through GA. I mean, we, we, you know, we're all in the same aviation industry. And the more we talk, the more we share information, uh, the better we're going to make it for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tom, you know, the private jet podcast really does that. And it, it allows people to have an inside look into the private jet and the private jet industry and also flying them. And that's what I like about it. It uh, allows me to step inside. Uh, maybe I may not use most of the information here, but but for for the length of each of the episodes, I'm taken away and I'm I'm taken inside this world that I never been able to see before. I may not ever be part of, uh, but it, but it's a it's also for someone like myself, it's almost like escapism. You know, what's mm. it like on the other side? I mean, instead of having you know 200 people sitting behind me, what's yeah. it like to have two? And, yeah, right. and what's it like to, to be have a personal relationship with the person you're flying? All those kind of neat things, you know, um, and, and different avenues to go into for, say, careers and things you never thought about on corporate jets. So it's, yeah. it's really neat to see there. You truly do have some amazing conversations, and you talk about reducing risk and increasing value in, in both business and private aviation, and you've really done that with, with the Private Jet Podcast. It's, it's a very well-put-together show, some incredible uh, – guests that you have on there and i'd suggest it of anybody how other than going to privatejetpodcast.com how else should they get in touch with you well i'm on twitter at tom wachowski and uh, i'm usually watching that uh, almost every day uh, but the, the best way is is through the private jet podcast because you can find a contact form there you can email me and and, and please do i i really enjoy talking to other people and, and meeting other people in this business and in this industry because uh, i love it so much i mean i really it's funny you know i've been asked how many times Oh, when are you going to go to the airlines? Or when are you going to go do this? And I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not. I love the business aviation side. It gets me out of bed in the morning. It lights a fire under me. It, it, it's, it's just, it's still fascinating. We talked <laughs> earlier in the show, Carl. You said, oh, you know, you'd go look into the cockpit and you know, look over the glass into the cockpit of the corporate jet. And I still do that today. I mean, I just, I really love everything about it. So uh, yeah, head on over to the to the site. That's the easiest way to reach me or on Twitter. So if you want to look at a corporate jet, go check this out at uh, Private Jet Podcast. If uh, someday you see Tom Wachowski pulling up in his Gulfstream and <laughs> and you're sitting there in your 172, go up to him and say, hey, Tom, you want to come see my airplane? And and I'm sure he'd be excited to see yours, and I'm, he'd probably let you uh, take a look inside. As a matter of fact, in general, I think you should do that. Uh, we all like to show off our airplanes. And, uh, you know, don't remember what Tom said. You know, you're sitting there looking at the airplanes thinking, gosh, I'd like to go check that out. And that person's looking at you saying, I want to check his airplane out so we love to share so I, i'd really encourage people to do that tom your story is really encouraging it's uh and your show is outstanding and hopefully we'll have a lot more conversations i hope everybody's enjoyed listening to you and uh is there anything else you want to say to folks about uh corporate aviation before we, we tune off here uh you know i don't think so i i do want to say though thanks for having me on the show and and uh hope it brought some value to everybody listening and uh, i appreciate all your remarks uh if, if you could see me i'm blushing <laughs> <laughs> so th thanks so much guys it's been great and Tom always does bring value to every show he's been on the after landing checklist and folks if you have any comments please do me a favor go to stuckmygavcast.com slash contact send us some questions also don't forget to visit the people that sponsor us aviationuniverse.us and help bring this program to you it's really been a lot of fun uh, putting this episode together and all the other episodes so make sure you go back and see some of the past episodes we've talked a little bit about corporate aviation before and you know if you're sitting there and you're you're flying your 172 and and you're thinking gosh what it would be like to to fly a corporate jet go to private jet podcast 
Well, folks, from myself and Rick Felty, Sean Moody and Incentia, and also uh, Victoria Zyko, and Eric Crump, we're going to talk to you next episode. Safe flying, keep your head up in the clouds, feet on the ground, and enjoy that journey. Take care now. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.